chapter number 14, if you'll be turning there while you stand. I do want to encourage you tonight, be in prayer for the many that are in different services tonight around our building there in the Spanish ministry. And talking to Brother Brent this afternoon, we have several families in discipleship and how exciting it is that families are uh, getting there together, that they might be able to lead others in discipleship. So pray for them as uh, they're in that tonight and the many of our young people uh, there in master clubs. And pray that God would work in all of the ministries of our church tonight. Mark chapter number 14, going to pick up in verse number 3. Mark chapter 14, verse number 3. The Bible says, And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at me, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. Jesus says, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? For uh, the Bible says, She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whenever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She has done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of, spoken of for a memorial of her. Well, let's pray one more time. Ask the Lord to bless his word. Lord, I thank you for the testimony of Mary. I pray you'd bless it tonight. Lord, help us glean from it. And Lord, help us to follow the example that you have preserved for us in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of my wife's favorite scriptures is the last verse in the book of John. And I have to admit, it's one that uh, it kind of gets my mind to thinking just a little bit. The Bible says the last verse in the book of John, John chapter 21, verse 25, and there are also many other things which Jesus did. The which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that shall be written. Does that not get the gears of your mind going just a little bit? Thinking about all of the other things that Jesus did. Sometimes we have tunnel vision. We read the Gospels and we think we're reading about all that Jesus did. But that verse tells us that if all the things were written that Jesus did, the world could not contain the books. And it just makes my mind wonder what all did Jesus do other than the wonderful things that we read. And as we read the Word of God, we read the inspired, inerrant, preserved Word of God. And what we read in the Word of God is everything God wanted us to know. Nothing more, nothing less. It's written in the book. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. In spite of what the television evangelists tell us, there are no new revelations from God. If you want a revelation from God, you read the one that He's already given us because He's not giving us any more Even though the Word of God contains all that God wanted us to know, there are so many other things that Christ did that are not written in the Word of God. And what's interesting is it makes the story of Mary that we're reading about tonight so much more interesting. Because in the limited time, in the 33-year life of Christ, this short few years that Christ ministered on earth, he did so many things. 
And yet God, in his wisdom, as he began to put together the word of God, he chose the account of Mary to include in the canon of the holy scriptures of the word of God. I want you to know that having Christ live during your time, boy, that'd be a wonderful thing to be able to have an experience with Christ. But God took the time to include the story of Mary in the account of the Gospels. And in this account of Mary, we see a testimony of service that lives on well past the life of Mary. As a matter of fact, in verse number 9, watch what Christ says about the testimony of Mary. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. It's amazing that God would take this wonderful account of service and he would include it in his word. And he would say, not only is it going to be included in my word, but it will be a testimony wherever the gospel is preached. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to just go ahead and chalk it up. Mary was chosen for a wonderful privilege to be used in the word of God and that God would use her testimony wherever the gospel was preached. So here's the question. What stood out in what Mary did It made God want to include her story. What stood out in the testimony and the service of Mary that made Christ say that everywhere the gospels preach, they're going to tell of the service of this woman. And I believe ultimately it was because of the choices that Mary made. There's three, I'm going to give you three, because that's just the way my brain works, and you know, often in times in Scripture you see three, so we're just going to use three tonight. I believe there's three deliberate choices that Mary made that led her to be someone that God would include in his word and would use her testimony wherever the gospel was preached. Now listen, we live in a very dramatic world. Have you noticed that lately? Now, look, I expect ladies to be dramatic, you know, because, you know, that's where men step in and we step in and, and rescue them, okay? That's, that's what we're there for. But I hate to tell you, even men have become dramatic. In the world we live in today on Facebook, I mean, I mean, look, there's nothing, I whine in private, okay? You ask my wife, I can, man, I can pout and I can whine with the best of them. But man, when you see men whining on Facebook, you're thinking, this country's over, you know, those, those invading countries that look forward to coming over here one day, they must sit back and laugh and think, look, guys, put down the AR-15s, just pick up the pea shooters, and we'll, we'll knock those guys off. Because we're dramatic. We live in this very romantic world, and we have this romantic idea of this world called destiny, this word called destiny. A lot of us believe in this, this term of destiny that kind of the case Sarah Sarah of whatever will be, will be. It's going to happen regardless. But I hate to tell you, being used of God is not a matter of destiny. It's not set in stone that you're going to be used of God no matter what you do. It doesn't work that way. It's not a matter of destiny. It's really a matter of your decisions. Mary was used of God, not because it was her destiny to be used of God. She was used of God because of decisions that she made, and that's why God was willing to use her. I, just heard, I heard this week listening to a sports show, big game coming up on Saturday, and I tell you, I'm going to have to walk with God ever so much closer on Sunday morning either way. 
to keep pride or disappointment out of the picture come Sunday morning. But I was listening to a, 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 a broadcast uh, from uh, Chip Kelly, UCLA's coach, and they were asking about destiny. They said, do you believe that you control your own destiny? And here's what he said. I printed it off. It's a very good statement. He must have got it off a fortune cookie because I don't think he came up with this on his own. They said, do you believe you control your own destiny in the South? He says this, no. To be honest with you, grammatically, destiny is a predetermined set of events. And if it's a predetermined set of events, then you can't control it. That's why being used of God is not a matter of destiny. It's a matter of decision. If you want to be used of God, it's not a, something that's preset in stone and you can live however you want to live and ignore God, however you want to ignore God. No, your decisions will ultimately lead to whether or not you become a choice servant, a servant that God could use. Deuteronomy chapter 11, don't turn there, but stick with me for a few moments while we introduce this. Verse 26 through 29 shows us that God's blessings and God's providence on our life is a matter of choice. He says in Deuteronomy eleven twenty six, 26, he says, behold, this day I set before you a blessing and a curse. He says, I'm putting before you a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey and a curse if you do not obey. No, notice obedience is a choice. He says, whether you receive blessings or not is a direct result of the choice you make of whether to be obedient or not. And it's the same way with being used of God. If we want to be used of God, understand there are choices we have to make in order for God to make us his choice. So tonight we're going to look at the choices of Mary. What were the choices that Mary made that made God want to use her and that caught the eye of God that he would use her in her testimony all throughout this time some 2,000 years later? So if you would, I want you to look down to verse number 3, and we're going to see what she did, but more importantly, see why she did it. In verse number 3, the Bible says, being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she break the box and poured it on his head. Now, we're going to look at what she did here in just a few minutes, but what's more important is seeing why she did what she did. Why did she do what she did? I mean, this is somewhat of a brazen act. This happened during mealtime. It's definitely something that you don't see on an ordinary uh, dinnertime schedule. I believe you'll see her motivation if you'll look down to verse number 8. The Bible says she hath done, this is Jesus speaking, what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burial. Now I want you to notice what is motivating Mary. What is motivating her? I mean, look, can you imagine the scene of what's happening here? They're sitting there at meat, and in walks Mary with this alabaster box of ointment. And she breaks the box over the head of Jesus and begins to anoint him with this very precious, very aromatic oil right there while everyone sits and eats. That's not something that normally happens, but my goodness, something is driving her to do this. And we see what was driving her to do this in verse number 8. You see, all the time she had spent with Christ, she heard him say. Matter of fact, in chapter 8, verse 31, he begins to tell them how he will suffer. And how he will die and how he will rise again. She has heard these things. Can you imagine spending time with Christ and Christ telling you, I I will be arrested, I will suffer, and I will die, and I will rise from the grave. And how she had to chew on those thoughts. 
Can I tell you what motivated Mary and what the first choice was that she made? She heard about him dying, and she knew that he was going to die, but she had to decide whether or not she believed that or not. So number one tonight, I believe everything she did, she did because she chose to believe. She chose to believe it. Now, folks, let this sink in just for a moment. You see the boldness in this woman. I mean, I'll be honest with you. If I'm sitting at a restaurant and we're eating and you walk in the door and you break open a box over my head, I'm going to be thinking, well, this is kind of awkward. That's not something I would be expecting to happen. But I mean, there's something driving this woman. What is motivating Mary to do this unprecedented act that she walks in and she anoints Christ with this precious oil? What is motivating her? I'll tell you what's motivating her. Her belief. She believed that he was going to die and she was anointing him before his death. Can I ask you, what level of belief did she have? My soul. It was great because you can see her belief in her boldness. Now, this is a point that we've all got to get to if we're going to be used of God. If we want God to use us, I want to be a choice servant. I want God to pick me. Understand, you've got to get to a point to where all that you read and all that you hear and all that you know, you've got to decide whether you believe it or not. I'm going to tell you, look, Mary's boldness, her great boldness was evidence of her great belief. Now let's throw that back to us a little bit. How bold are we in our service? How bold are we? How bold are we to walk up to strangers and share the gospel with them? How bold are we to give a gospel track to someone at a restaurant? How bold are we in our faith? Can I tell you, I believe tonight that you could put boldness and belief on the same scale. If our boldness is not great, I believe it should be evidence that our belief is not what it should be. And I believe tonight it would do us all good to spend some time at an altar and cry out to God, help thou my unbelief. Because my boldness in my service is not what it ought to be. And that boldness is because I don't believe like I ought to believe. I'll give an example in James 1.22. The Bible says to be doers of the word. Not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Now listen, Mary had heard from Christ himself, I will die and I will be buried and I will rise again. She had heard it, but Mary had to decide, do I believe it? And when Mary came in to anoint Christ, she was showing just how much she believed it. Because she was following through with the actions of her belief. Now, what separates a hearer from a doer? You ready? Belief. What separates a hearer from a doer? Mary had heard from him personally that I will die and I will be buried and I will rise again. What took her from a hearer to a doer? It was her belief. Folks, I believe our problem in the church today is we don't believe it like we should. I'll show you a picture here in just a second. I sent it back to the guys. I've told you this story before, but it bears mentioning again. We went to see the ark several years ago. And I hope we can take some folks from our church up there. And I hope that's a good picture. I'm going to make sure, you know, sometimes I'll send them off my phone and won't check them. My wife will grill me after the church. You could have picked a better picture. And so I'm making sure, is that a good one? Is it, is it up to snuff? Okay, good deal, good deal. As we walked up to this ark, I'm telling you, 
I'm telling you, look, it's just wood and it's a recreation. But boy, I believe God can use things. Boys, we walked up to that ship and we stood over on that end. And we looked up at this massive thing. It, just, it, was just, it was uncanny that tears began to stream down our face. As we looked at this thing and we realized that was a replica, but there was a man who believed God enough to build that in the middle of nowhere. He didn't build it in a dry dock and they're going to float it out to the ocean. He built it in a place that had never rained. And him and his family, they, just, they worked and they worked and they worked in spite of all the opposition. You say, how do you know there was opposition? Nobody else got on the boat. But Noah built what he believed. He built what he believed. I meant to bring it over here while I was there. I bought a souvenir ark. It's about that big. And I'll be honest with you, the Holy Spirit convicted me this afternoon. He said, yeah, that's about the size of what you believe. That's what Noah built. Why did he build that? He didn't build that to glorify Noah. He built that because he believed God. Now, folks, sooner or later, we've got to go from being a hearer to a doer. And what takes you from a hearer to a doer is choosing to believe in what you heard. Mary believed. You say, how do you know? She proved it. You don't do what Mary did if you don't believe in what you're doing. Folks, I believe tonight when you look at the church, I'm guilty too, the way that we live and our boldness and our fervence and our service to God is evidence that we don't believe it like we should. Now listen, you can, many of you have been coming to this church for many years. Many of you have been saved a long time. Can I tell you that you can hear without believing indefinitely? You can hear it without believing it indefinitely. You can just come, you can sit, and you can listen, but you don't have to say, you know what? I believe that, but understand this. You can't do without believing very long. You can hear it without believing it from here to eternity, but you can't do it without believing it for very long. Why? Because you're going you're to run into resistance like Noah did. I'm going to tell you something. Noah, I don't believe, would have made it 10 feet in building that boat had he not believed in it. He did it because he believed. Psalms chapter number 27, verse 13. I love what David says here. The Bible says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I want you to listen to the first part of that verse. I had fainted unless I had believed. I had fainted unless I had believed. Can I tell you why so many Christians are fainting out of church? Because they're hearers, not doers. They're fainting because they haven't believed yet. They haven't said, you know what? I've heard it and I've heard it and I've heard it, but now you know what? This is mine. I believe this and you prove it through the way that you live it. Why are so many of our young people, boy, my heart is burdened for our young people because of the future of this church. I am thankful for the spiritual backbone of this church. We have some men and women of God who have served here for decades upon decades upon decades, but they're not getting any younger. And that scares me because I'm wondering who's going to take their place. Where's the next generation of young people? Where's the next Miss Rushing that's going to work on the bus? Where are they at? Where's the next Brother Shearer? I've heard so many people talk about Brother Miss Shearer. About, I, go, I go ask them to pray. They ask them to pray for them more than they ask me. Because they know they walk with God. But where are those people at? 
I think about our young people that are gone tonight, our other young people that are here. I pray, listen, I pray we have some young people that have not just been hearers of the word, but doers. But how you get a hearer to become a doer is they've got to choose to believe. Belief is a choice. God's not just going to sprinkle some spoofful dust out of heaven on you, and all of a sudden you feel warm and fuzzy, and suddenly you believe. doesn't work that way. No, you've got to choose to believe. Mary had heard and heard and heard, I will be arrested, I will die, I will be buried, and I will rise again. And there came a point in Mary's life where she had to decide, do I believe it or not? And she did. She chose to believe. Now, folks, understand this. We can say that we believe all day long, but if we honestly and earnestly choose to believe, you will see that belief take shape. Her belief took shape in what she did for Christ. Noah's belief took shape in that grand ship that he built. Now, folks, can I ask you this? If we say we believe, what shape has our belief taken? What shape has it taken? I fear tonight that many of us, now listen close. I had to think about this before I put this in my notes. Really had to think about this, make sure the Holy Spirit was leading in in this statement. I fear many of us agree with the word of God but we don't believe in the word of God. Now, now just chew on that just for a second. I had to make sure that that made some sense. I believe we hear it and we agree with it, but there's a difference in agreeing with the word of God and personally owning it in belief. Big difference. How many people have I shared the gospel with and shared the plan of salvation with, do you believe you're a sinner? Yes. Do you believe what the Bible says, that the wages of sin is de- death? Yes. Do you believe there's none righteous? No, not one. Yes. And they believe and they agree with all of that. But when it comes time to believe, they choose not to. Now, can I tell you tonight, I believe you can do that after you get saved. We agree with the word of God. I mean, who in their right minds would to say the Bible's wrong? Who in their right mind is going to say, this is not true? No, we believe it's true, and we agree with it, but we don't believe it enough to own it through our life. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, I believe 98% of the people that I have spoken with have professed that they believe the Bible. 98% of people that he spoke to said they believe the Bible. He says, but the number who have actually put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is much smaller What's the difference? That's the same difference between a hearer and a doer. They chose not to believe. Do you know why people are in hell tonight? And by the way, let that sink in just for a moment. There are people in hell tonight. Do you know why people are in hell tonight? It's not because they didn't hear. It's not because they didn't agree. It's because they didn't believe. You see, there's a big difference in that. And I believe tonight we can accept something as truth but not accept it as our personal truth that God has sent to us. So number one, I believe the reason that God chose Mary, and and boy, he really gives her a beautiful picture of her testimony, verse number nine, is because she chose to believe. I want to read something to you. This will break your heart. I printed this off months and months ago, and I couldn't find it today. I finally found it back on, on the Internet. Some of you have heard of the... I believe it's a magician group called Penn and Teller. I don't know that I know them personally, but uh, I've heard of them. And I ran across an amazing quote by Penn Gillette, and he is an atheist. He's an avowed atheist, very well-known atheist, very open atheist. 
And he says one night he was standing uh, after a show signing autographs, and he saw a gentleman standing off to his left. The gentleman had something in his hand. He just kept watching the gentleman, watching the gentleman. He was very patient, very kind after all the other people had left. The gentleman walks up and handed him a small New Testament Bible. He says, Mr. Gillette, I understand that you're an atheist, and, and I'm not here to bash that. I love the way that the gentleman went about it, by the way. He goes up to him, begins telling him about the Lord and trying to win him to the Lord. And Penn Gillette began to say that the sincerity of the man touched his heart. And the sincerity of the man's desire to see him accept the truth and be saved as the man, the gentleman presented it, he says it really just stirred him that someone would care that much about him. And here's what he said. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That means try to win them to your side. I don't have respect at that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people should not, shouldn't proselytize and who just say, leave me alone and go keep your religion to yourself, listen close, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe in everlasting life and to believe in eternal life and not tell them that? This is an atheist. This is an atheist. He says, how can you say that you believe in heaven and you believe in hell and you believe in eternal life and yet you don't go tell somebody about it? You see, we're hearers, but we're not doers. He said, if you really believe in that, if you really believe there's a hell, he says, even though I disagree with the man, even though he does not believe there is a God, even though he believes there is not a heaven, he says, I respect the fact that he believes it so much that he was willing to wait for me and to come share Christ with me. That man believed it, and he proved it. Now, folks, I want you to understand something tonight. I believe we agree with the word of God more than we believe it. Because if we can measure our belief by our, our boldness and our obedience, then we don't believe as much as we think that we do. So number one, I believe we see that Mary chose to believe. Number two, I want to show you what her belief led to. Verse number three, we see what she did. And we're going to look at a little bit more detail of that before we finish tonight. It says, in being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he said at me, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, the Bible says of spikenard, very precious. She break the box and poured it on his head. So why did she do what she do? Because she did because she believed it. She was convinced. She was persuaded. Now I want to show you what else she chose to do because what she believed. Notice the word spikenard. The Bible gives us an illustration or an example of what she poured on his head. Spikenard, the Bible says, very precious. You do a little study about spikenard. It's a very valuable, very valuable oil. It's imported from the Himalayas and stored in alabaster boxes to keep it fresh and to keep the, uh, the aroma inside of the box. And yet we see her pouring this on Christ. Now, there's a beautiful picture here. I want to give you my opinion just for a moment. I believe this will bear up in Scripture. I'll give you my opinion. I don't believe Mary just had this box laying around. I don't believe Mary had just purchased a box of spikenard. By the way, when you look up, the Bible says in verse number 5, 300 pence. They said this is worth 300 pence. That's about an annual year's wage. 
It's about a year's wage. I don't believe Mary just had this box of alabaster, uh, alabaster box with a spike nerd in it shoved under her bed as an investment. I don't believe that. I believe as Mary got to the place where she realized, you know what? I believe he's going to die. And I believe he's going to be buried. And I want to do something. Because she believed it so much. I want to do something. I believe she took the money she had. And she went and she found the very best thing she could find to bestow upon Christ. And she took that alabaster box, she opened it up, and she poured it upon Christ. So number two, notice she believed so much, she chose to sacrifice for him. She chose to sacrifice. Now this is important. Oftentimes in our world today, the word believe is thrown about flippantly. It doesn't carry the weight that it used to carry. But understand this and listen close. It's not until belief becomes costly. It's not until a belief becomes costly that a belief becomes convincing. It's not until a belief becomes costly that what we believe costs us something does our belief become convincing to others. And there's our problem. We don't choose to believe because sooner or later, if we truly believe in that, it's going to cost us something. The most influential servants in Scripture, think about it tonight, were those that were willing to sacrifice for what they believed. Now, this is interesting. Ultimately, what you believe in will be proved out by what you're willing to sacrifice for it. Think about how many veterans go overseas and fought in Normandy. How many veterans died on foreign shores for this country? Why? Because it was macho? Why? Because they get their names in the papers? No, because they believed in America. And they showed just how much they believed in this country and liberty and freedom. They proved their belief by what they were willing to sacrifice, and they sacrificed themselves. Now, folks, based on our sacrifice today, We don't really believe because we're not willing to give much for it. Think about Esther. I think Esther would be proven tonight as a choice servant. Esther said this when she gave Mordecai the answer to go back and tell those with with him. She says, go tell them that I'm going to go into the king and fast and pray for me. And what did she say? If I perish, I perish. Oh, Esther had got to the place where she realized that I am here for such a time as this. This is not an accident. I believe this, and I believe it so much, I'm willing to sacrifice my life for what I believe. I believe tonight the reason many of us will never get to serve God in a capacity that we could is because we don't believe what we say we believe enough to sacrifice for it. I'm going to tell you, I talk to Christians all the time, and the Christian life is too expensive it's too expensive. You try to get people to live right. You try to get, get, get people to come out of, the, out of the, the darkness and into the light and live a life that's pleasing to God, an example of someone who calls himself a child of God. It's not worth it. Now, what does it say to the world when we try to convince them that they need what we have when what we have is not worth sacrificing for? I mean, don't ask, listen, don't ask me to come to church more than once or twice a month. Don't ask me to give an offering. Don't ask me to give my time. Don't ask me to give up my habits. Don't ask me to give up my lifestyle. And we show that what we believe is not worth it because we're not willing to sacrifice for it. Job says, though he slay me, 
Job says, though he slay me. Job says, I know, listen, he says, I know where I'm, I stand. He says, I'm standing with him, and I believe where I am, I stand, and though he slay me, I'm going to serve him, I'm going to trust him. Job was willing to sacrifice. Paul says this, I'll magnify God by my life or by my death. What is he saying? I believe it that much. I believe it that much. Now, can I ask you, if we could measure our belief tonight by our sacrifice, do we really believe what we say we believe? You know, sooner or later, I was talking to someone at the marketplace, the ministry marketplace the other night, and I said, before long, things are going to get settled out in the church. Not here, I'm talking about in America and the world in general. It's going to get hot. There's going to be persecution. It's going to, look, it's going to start costing you more to be a Christian in this society if you haven't noticed already. Right now, you get picked on in Facebook. Right now, people may not let their kids come over to your house. That's probably a good thing. Right now, you have to, you know, take a little bit of ridicule because you, you go to church and you try to live faithfully to the Word of God. But just wait. The temperature's going to get turned up here before too long. I'm telling you, depending on the way this election goes, it could get bad quick for people who call themselves Christians. And you'll find out. You're going to find out what you believe in. Why? Because you're going to have to start paying for it. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost me something. Now, folks, understand, if God's going to use us, he's looking down. He says, you know what? I'm not just looking for people who say they believe it. I'm looking for people who believe it enough to sacrifice for it. And that's exactly what Mary did. She was willing not only to give God something, but she gave him his be- her best. I've encouraged you before, you need to read the book, The Trail of Blood or Fox's Book of Martyrs. You will read about those who believed what they said they believed. Why? Because they gave their life for it. You know, when you give your life for something, you're saying, I think that is worth it. Just as our veterans did, those who gave their life for this country. So number two, she chose to sacrifice. I couldn't help but think of David this afternoon in 2 Samuel 24. In 2 Samuel 24, David has been given the opportunity by God. David will not get to build the temple, but David will get the opportunity to go and secure the location and secure some of the things for the temple. In 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, David goes to Arna. He's going to buy the threshing floor there from Arna. And Arna says, look, if you're going to build the temple for God here, I'm just going to let you have it. And David says, no, no. This, this is going to be the temple. This is going to be the, the place of God. And David goes up to Arna and he says, I will buy it from thee. He could have got it for free, but he says, this is not just some anybody's house. This is going to be the place of God's house. And it ought to cost us something. And David says, I'm not going to offer burnt offerings to God, which does cost, cost me nothing. David says, my service to God should cost something. Folks, understand this tonight. I believe we are getting the usefulness and being used by God for what we're willing to pay for it. You've heard that phrase, you get what you pay for? I've really enjoyed lately people who post things on Facebook showing what they ordered and what they got instead. Have you seen some of that stuff? My wife ordered something. I forget what it was. What was that? It's like a little stuffed animal she ordered for Miley or something. The picture was so cute. 
said, man, I got a deal on this thing. You know, sometimes before you go to Disney World, you can buy the souvenirs, you know, on eBay and stuff like that. And, and then, oh, I got this for you at Disney World. It only costs you half the price. And man, you're looking at it, man, I got a really good deal on this. And when it comes into the mail, like the eyes were crooked. You know, Nemo had one fin bigger than the other, but I don't think it was on purpose. You know, it was just, it was horrible. There was a reason we got it so cheap. We were getting what we paid for. Can I tell you, your usefulness to God is something that you will get what you pay for. If you're not willing to sacrifice much for God, then don't be surprised if God doesn't use you for much. He used those in the word of God who were willing to sacrifice for what they say that they believed in. Real quickly, I want to show you in this, this point. The last point is short. So I want to show you three things in here. Real quickly, what she gave. The first thing, it was personal. She sacrificed something that was personal. Can I tell you, listen, service to God is going to cost you personally. It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you something that, that belongs to you. It's going to cost you alternatives of what you could be doing, serving God. Understand, it's going to cost you personally. But here's something that really hit home with me. I'm, I'm picturing myself in Mary's shoes. And I know what I want to do. I want to go and I want to take this, this alabaster box and I want to break it and I want to anoint Christ. Okay, so I've got it. Here's what I picture. I picture Mary standing outside the door. She knows they're in there eating. And Mary's just going to walk in there and, and do this thing. I would be thinking, what are they going to think about me? They're going to think I've lost my mind. They're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to think, what is she doing, busting up in here, just being intrusive? And she comes over, and she anoints Christ at the table. And obviously, they had a bad attitude about it already because they were murmuring, the Bible says. But she was willing to sacrifice her pride. She was willing to sacrifice her pride. Oftentimes, this is what will happen. We have to give of ourselves and how we're going to feel in order to sacrifice for what we say that we believe in. Ooh, can I tell you tonight, peer pressure is not just for teenagers. Man, it's tough for mom and dad too, isn't it? My wife and I were talking today going down the road, and if we would just be honest with ourselves, a lot of the reasons we have trouble doing what thus saith the Lord, it's not because we don't believe it or agree with it. It's simply because we know how the world's going to react to it. Now let that sink in just a second. The, the reason we have trouble giving up things and letting go of things is not because God hasn't made it clear. It's simply because we know that when we sacrifice that, what people are going to say about us. Oh, you're not going to let your kids do that? You're not let your kids go there? You're not going to let your, look, your kids are going to stick out like a sore thumb? Imagine how Mary felt walking in the room to do this. Oh, it would have been so awkward. What motivated her? She believed it, and she was willing to sacrifice her pride to do what she believed. And, and then the value of this thing, understand, she's not giving God her leftovers. She's giving God her best. We ought to be willing to sacrifice the best that we have all for what God's called us to do because it's worth it. So number two, God used Mary because she chose to sacrifice. The last part of verse number three holds the last point tonight. The Bible says the very precious, the ointment was very precious, and she break the box. She break the box and poured it on his head. So watch this progression. She believed it. 
He had spoke it. She believed it. She believed it so much. She was willing to sacrifice for what she believed. But watch the level of sacrifice at the end of verse number three. The Bible says that she break the box. Well, I tried to study this thing out and make sure we got this right. And some folks believe she actually broke the box, broke it beyond where it could, you know, it could not be uh, put back together. But as I studied this, I want to tell you the direction I believe that she went with this. When they would seal the spike nerd in the alabaster box, they would seal it tight uh, so that the, the, the aroma could not get out and the potency could not get out. And as soon as you broke the seal and you opened that up, it could not be closed back up. You had to go ahead and use it and use it all. So number three tonight, I believe you see here that she not only chose to sacrifice, but the level of sacrifice that she was willing to have, she chose to surrender. Number three, she chose to surrender. Now, there's a difference in sacrifice and surrender. Do you know you can sacrifice some things tonight but still be in control of other things? You can say, God, I'm going I'm to sacrifice, you know, I'm going to give you Sunday, God. I'm going to give you Sunday, but you can hold back Monday through Saturday. So see, you can sacrifice, but sacrifice oftentimes is a limited thing, okay? It's done in measure. But we see that Mary's service to Christ was not done in measure. She broke the box, she says, I'm going to put it all, I broke the seal. I'm not holding any back. I surrender it all over to you. And I believe the reason that in the word of God, when all there's so many stories that he could have put in here, he put Mary in here and he says her testimony will outlive her to wherever the gospel is preached. It's because she chose to believe. She chose to sacrifice but then she chose the ultimate level of sacrifice. She surrendered it all. She did not hold anything back from him. There's a phrase we use in our culture today called all in. All in. Mary was all in. Mary didn't say, I'm going to go in here and you know what? I, I believe, so I'm going to just go, boop. I'm going to pour a little, and I'm going to seal it back up and save it for me. No. She says, not only is he worth my best, but he's worth all of my best. Now, folks, tonight, if we want to get the attention of God, he needs to see that we're all in. I want to tell you, look, there is no, there is no more room. The job description has been filled for half-hearted Christians. We don't need any more of those. There's, there's too many that are half in and half out. I mean, how attractive is that to God? He say, God, I want to be used, and he sees one foot on the bank and one foot in the boat. God says, I need some people that are all in. I need some people that are willing to not only sacrifice a little, but to surrender all of themselves. God says, that's attractive to me. I believe that's why he used Esther and Paul and Job. Luke chapter 9 and verse number 62, the Bible says, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. We're not talking about heaven. We're talking about the service to God. No man has put his hand to the plow. That's the work. That's service to God. I mean, let me ask you a question. How long will you keep an unfaithful employee employed? Not very long. I don't, I don't, know, I, I don't have any employees around my house. I guess my daughter, she's kind of the, you know, she's a dishwasher every once in a while. She does an okay job. But you're not going to keep an unfaithful employee around very long. You know what the Bible says about an, an unfaithful man? The Bible says confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of need. The Bible describes it as like a broken tooth. 
or a bone out of joint. I have never had a bone out of joint, and I hope I never have a bone out of joint, but that sounds painful. I'm not looking for those. Toothache? You ask my wife. I'm on the floor in the fetal position, crawling around. Toothache? Man, that hurt. I don't look for those. And God doesn't look for unfaithful servants either. He's looking for those that are willing to sacrifice and those that are willing to surrender. Paul put it this way. Paul says it was for the cause of Christ, his pursuit of Christ, his walk with God. It was for what he believed. He says that I suffered the loss of all things. Man, no wonder God used Paul. Paul was surrendered. Surrendered is when we choose to give God all of it. We break the box. I believe, I'm, I'm telling you, I believe with all of my heart God could turn Hattiesburg upside down if we just had a few people in this church decide they're going to break the box. I'm just not going to loosen the lid and pour a little bit out. It's like I, I have favorite popcorn. Okay, it's Cousin Willie's. And I kind of keep it back there in my office in a secret compartment with a code that you can't get into and, unless you know it. I don't just give it out to anybody, you know. I, I kind of, when Miley wants popcorn, I say, go get the pop secret. Go get that pop secret stuff, that take one or whatever it's called. Man, I, I got to keep that good stuff reserved, keep that stuff reserved for me, you know, kind of hold back a little bit. I think a lot of times we do that for God. We reserve the best for us, the best, the best time of the week. We reserve the best of our life. That's what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 12. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Give God the best time you got. You young people, you don't have any bills. You don't have much responsibility. I mean, right now you can serve God with your life. You've got your health. Give that to God. Oh, God's looking for some young people that say, God, I'm willing to not only sacrifice, I'm willing to surrender. Luke 9 says this. I'll say this and I'm done. Luke chapter 9, the Bible says, any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, you think about surrendering. What do you do when you surrender? You lay down your weapons, you lay down your cause, you lay down your flag, and you're willing to take up the cause of the one that you're surrendering to. The Bible says if we're going to come after him in service, let's deny ourselves. That's the laying down. Take up our cross and follow him. It's going to require surrender. There's no way that we become a, cho a choice servant without surrendering to God. And I believe Mary just kind of asked herself the question, who better to use it on? Who better to use it on? I've got this priceless ointment. It's a year's wage who would I hold it back for? There's nobody better. There's nobody better to break the box for. There's nobody better to break the bank for. Why? Because he's worth it. But the question is, do you believe that? If you believe it, you'll sacrifice. If you believe it, you'll surrender. One of my favorite stories, the Bible's closed, so I'll keep my word to you there. One of my favorite stories is the testimony of missionary Bill Borden. Bill Borden, heir to the Borden fortune, graduated high school. As he graduated high school, he had a mind for God and wanted to serve God. He was heir to millions. And Bill Borden wanted to be a missionary and began to tell some of his high school uh, classmates, I want to go to college at Yale and Princeton. Back then, they were not what they are now. And I want to study so that I can become a missionary. And one of his friends said to him, he says, you're foolish for throwing your life away. 
As best we can tell, the story goes this way, that in the back of his Bible after that incident, Bill Borden wrote two words, no reserves. I'm not going to hold back. What God's called me to do, and I know I'm offered millions, but I'm, I'm going I'm to go to the mission field. So he went to Yale, and he, uh, he, he started a Bible club at Yale, and I know that's hard to believe in today's world, but yeah, there were some Christians at Yale at one time. As he started the Bible club there, over 1,300 students began to attend the Bible club that he had, and he graduated Yale and got job offers. Because of his family and his wealth and their affluence, he got job offers to be CEOs and great opportunities to serve in business. And he turned them down. He went back in his Bible and he wrote, underneath no reserves, he wrote, no retreats. No retreats. He went on to graduate school at Princeton and was studying the Chinese language. He wanted to go reach the Muslims over in China and graduate Princeton. And after he left, he went straight to Egypt to learn the language that it might go win the Muslims over in China. Just a month or two after he got there, 25-year-old, Bill Borden would contract meningitis and die. Oh, how people lamented his untimely death and a waste of a life where he could have lived as a millionaire. And this story goes on to say that when they got to him, his family recovered his Bible. There underneath the no reserves, no retreats during the time of his sickness with meningitis, Bill Borden would write two more words. The last that he would write, no regrets. No regrets. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. And God has used the short 25-year life of Bill Borden and the subsequent testimony to reach and inspire millions. God used the choice servant, Bill Borden. Why? Evidently, he believed what he said because he was willing to sacrifice He was not only willing to sacrifice a little, he was a little bit of a fortune. He was willing to surrender his entire life for what he said he believed. Folks, I don't know about you. My heart's desire is to be a choice servant. I want God to use me. I want God to use my life, whether my life or my death, to be a testimony that speaks years after I'm gone. How do we get that? How do we get that? Well, we get it by deciding, do I believe what I've heard? Mary believed what she heard, and she proved it through her sacrifice, and she proved it through her surrender, and Mary is still being used of God as a choice servant tonight. So tonight, do you believe what he said? I'm not asking, do you agree with it? Do you believe it? So how do I know? Do you sacrifice for it personally? pridefully? Do you sacrifice it in your priorities, and are you willing to surrender it all for what we say you believe tonight? Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's stand to our